Hello everyone, this is your host Caroline Owen, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Global Perspective, my podcast about all things political, multicultural, and international. This is the fourth episode titled The Relationship Between Black Lives Matter and Literature, and today one of my friends and I are going to be discussing firstly why you should read literature that showcases a diverse cast of characters and that also discusses prevalent and critical social topics such as racial injustice and abuse, and secondly we'll be naming some of our book recommendations of novels that touch on these themes. Amidst the Black Lives Matter and racial equality movement, many schools and organizations are compiling lists of books written by authors of color, so we're also going to be showcasing a couple of those novels today. Today, with me, I have another featured guest on the show, one of my good friends, Sarah. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, My name is Sarah, and I'm an upcoming junior at my local high school. I'm a member of my school's history club, which not only participates in local Mali One conferences, but also, also at ethics ball competitions, where we engage in critical ethical debates with neighboring school districts based on current issues. Some of my interests include politics, all forms of literature, swimming, writing, playing music, and history. Thank you so much for having me, Caroline. Of course, Sarah. I'm so happy to have you here. You're one of the biggest book nerds I know, and so I'm really excited to hear the great points you'll bring up in the discussion today. So just a disclaimer, like in the last episode, Sarah and I will be discussing our topic in a couple of segments just to keep some semblance of structure. All of these are going to revolve around the main theme of exploring why diversity and inclusivity in literature is so important. We're going to be firstly analyzing the importance of reading literature that showcases diverse themes and characters. And secondly, we'll name each one book that we feel is highly relevant and also one that we highly recommend from our list of diverse reading. So Sarah, let's just start off with the first section, which is that um, really critical topic. Why is it so important to read novels or really all forms of literature that touch on these diverse themes and characters? What are some of your ideas for that? So one of the greatest things about literature is that it's so diverse. There's an infinite amount of ways to tell an infinite amount of stories. By having representation in literature, you're highlighting the trials and tribulations of people of color, and it'll bring these issues into a new light to those who probably have not heard of these ideas before, and can allow new legislation to be passed that protect the rights of these people. Definitely, I think that's a really valid point, and um, the role of literature in influencing legislation is something that a lot of people don't really know about, or they might not understand, but I think one of the biggest um, factors in this change is the fact that literature really just increases normalization of both the topics themselves, but also normalization of talking about these things, whether it might be um, discussing the trials and tribulations, as you said, that people of color face, whether it's discussing racism, homophobia, sexism, sexual harassment, all of which are kind of these taboo or controversial topics that a lot of teenagers or maybe schools might not be willing to talk about all the time. So I think it's really important that um, if students aren't going to get that firsthand experience as someone who's not a person of color or someone who's not queer or a gender minority, whatever the topic might be, I think it's really important that they can get that experience as close of a firsthand as possible through reading. Absolutely, and to bring up another point, these forms of literature, they serve as a comfort to those who have been through these traumatic experiences, because sometimes it's difficult to talk to people you know about it, because they may not completely understand what you've been going through. By finding these experiences through literature, it allows people to come to terms with these issues that they face. I think that's a really valid point, and um, 
as someone who's not a person of color, I definitely will say that my experience with reading these types of literature has really just been so eye-opening because I could never firsthand understand really or experience racism because I'm, you know, I've never been faced with that situation, but just being able to experience it through the eyes of a black girl or through the eyes of um, an Indian guy through a piece of writing, I think is really powerful. And I think a lot of the reason that prejudice and discrimination exists is just due to people not understanding others and whether it's not understanding maybe their customs, their way of life, why they act certain ways, or even just lack of understanding to kind of banish stereotypes and bash these negative connotations that people hold towards minorities. I think that reading and gaining exposure to those people and those topics can really just help erase the stigma. Mm -hmm. And of course, although today we're focusing on novels itself, there are so many other different forms of literature that you can be exposed to to become sensitive to these topics. For instance, um, there are a lot of opportunities to become exposed to these social issues through the world of Broadway. And of course, when people think of theater, they think of Shakespeare or these glamorous like musicals that you from the 1950s. But there are so many opportunities to tell people's stories. For instance, a couple of years back, they had To Kill a Mockingbird on Broadway. And it was honestly one of the most popular shows at that time. And for good reason. It was in the midst of the Black Lives Matter movement. And many people who went to go see the show were of course familiar, but there were also those who were not familiar with the show. And it brings to light such a beautiful story through the um, through a way that's almost, that's more immersive, I should say, that anyone can understand what is happening. And that's one of the books that I'll be focusing on today, so I don't want to get too deep into it. But it does a wonderful job in portraying um, the struggles that Black people have gone through their entire lives. And um, I think when you see... This, of course, reading it is it's totally productive and a great way to understand these issues. But when you see it for yourself, it brings it to a new light. That's a really valid point. And I'm actually really glad that you brought that up because I hadn't thought about that before. I'm not really involved that much with theater as much as I do appreciate it as an art form. And I think really, um, since so often a lot of these more well-known um, plays or musicals are based off of some sort of literature, whether it's an adaptation of a book or just screenwriting, because really all plays and all forms of theater start out as some sort of screenwriting. I think that's um, also another interesting form of literature, and it's really such a useful way to portray such um, maybe tough or like difficult topics in a way that's not only easier for people to understand, but a way that um, can really give them that firsthand um personal experience that they definitely would not have gotten otherwise. And I really think that um, To Kill a Mockingbird, especially as you'll go on to discuss later, is um, really just so groundbreaking in the fact that it was not only a best-selling novel, but the fact that it was so well-written that it could be adapted into a play where people who see it can get just as much of an in-depth experience without even having written word to basically tell them what they're seeing. Um, another point I just want to bring up is something that I find really useful about reading is that, especially in young adult books, which kind of have a similar um, style or a similar stereotype, they're written in a way that I feel like is a lot easier for people to digest than reading something like um, a news article, a memoir, a 
um, biography or historical novel. I think especially um, with how much our current situation is shifting towards focus on teenagers, young people, you know, like Gen Z activists. I think that the way that these themes are approached through literature should also adapt to um, kind of accommodate the younger side of this new activist generation. So that's something I really appreciate about the modern young adult novel as um, as much as people like to say that it's a bit redundant or um, typical, I think it really can portray these difficult themes in a way that's not only easy for young people to understand, but also in a way that helps them relate to it, whether it's just, um, you know, the life of a high school student or a college student who happens to be a person of color and this book showcases some instances of racism they face, or it's the life of a teen or a young person who happens to be queer and this novel also showcases um some of the difficulties that they might face in their own life. So I think um, as much as people like to kind of give young adult novels a bad rep, I think they're also important because although they cater to a very specific audience, they do really help in promoting that um, universal understanding through easy, easily relatable or easily understandable themes. Mm-hmm. Um, so next we're gonna move on to the second section, which are our book recommendations. Um, But first, I wanted to ask you a question, Sarah. So I think before this um, interview, you mentioned something to me about a cultural initiative that your high school was doing. Yes. So around, I believe it was March, we had a week-long celebration for um, people of color and and marginalized groups of people. And I remember on the last day, we we had large group of people perform songs and dances and recite poetry during their lunch periods. And people, both students and faculty and staff, were able to come down to our common area, just like right in the middle of the school, and we could just witness these pieces of uh, beautiful um, performances. And I remember that there was this one performance that I thought was really powerful. It was about, it was performed by a group of black students, and they told a story through dance of their grandparents who had been previously enslaved and their hopes for freedom and that one day their family would be free and would be considered equal to um, white people in a sense. And although we haven't completely reached that area, reached that level of equality yet, I know that we're making so much more progress. It was really beautiful to see um, in person. They did a wonderful job in expressing such a sensitive topic that I really wasn't informed of before. And I feel that after I witnessed that performance, I became more educated on the uh, issues that Black people have been facing for centuries and centuries. Um, that's really beautiful. I'm I'm so glad that you brought that up because um, I personally had never actually considered that dance could also be a form of storytelling. I know typically um, dan- dance is considered an art form and typically it's very stylistic, so it can kind of fit into a bunch of different specialized categories, but I'm, I'm just so glad that you brought that up because that's a really interesting point. And the fact that um, dance was kind of utilized as a mode to um, express storytelling and also discuss these themes, you know, racism, slavery, discrimination, that's just really um, groundbreaking and really powerful. Um, and just to add on to that, I think that a really like if you approach literature with this thematic approach, I think that's one of the best ways to kind of get this um, 
you know, more understanding, more compassionate view out of it. I know a lot of um, people, when they think of literature, they think of books, they'll think of book reports, papers, analysis, citing your sources, English class, things like that. But I think one of the best things is when you just read a book or you read a piece of literature just to enjoy it and not for the sake of analyzing it or writing a paper. I think um, it, it definitely goes without saying that when you do read a piece of literature, that being able to um, understand really what it's about and kind of um, give your own perspective on kind of what you feel like some of the important aspects are, how they relate to your own life, how these themes are approached both through the, the novel and through the way it's written itself rather than just the plot. I think those are all really important things to consider. So just a little bit of self-promo. Um, the literature club at my high school is going through its second year next year, so I would like to say if any of you are interested in joining, this is really the kind of stuff that um, we discuss in our meetings, and I try to deviate as much from that typical book club kind of discussion where it's um, it feels more like coursework than an open discussion on a piece of literature. So I would just like to add that um, I think personally, just from my experience, that one of the things that's so critical about literature in all forms, not just novels, you have um, pieces of, you know, memoirs, um, biographies, as I said before, news articles, poetry, prose, um, really just anything, even spoken word. Um, they're all just so powerful, both in the way that they're presented, but in the fact that um, they really can challenge the way that you think about a certain topic or a certain group of people. Um, so next, as I said before, we'll move into the second section, which are our book recommendations. And Sarah, would you like to start with yours? I'd love to. Um, so I said before, but I'll say it again. Uh, I focus today. I'm going to focus today on *To Kill a Mockingbird* by Hart Lee. And there's a reason why this novel is considered like why every student within the United States has pretty much read this book. And I'm not going to complain about it because it's such an important and supporting novel during especially during this racial justice movement and even today there's still so much that we can learn from it so i'm not going to be too plot heavy because you've all probably read it but so novel takes place during the great depression within small town maycomb alabama so the narrator of this novel is young scout finch who tells a story between ages seven to nine her father atticus is a prominent lawyer in their town who is given the chance of a lifetime for being placed in the case to defend a black man named Tom Robinson who has been falsely accused of sexually assaulting a young white woman. So what I really love about this novel, oh, I love a lot of things about this novel, but one of the main things is that this story actually tells the life of Harper Lee. Her father was also a prominent lawyer during the Great Depression, and, she, and he was faced with a similar court case. And being that this is a story about her memories, it really... It really, I don't know, it's really powerful in a sense because she was so young when this event occurred. And even then, like, there was such, it had such a prominent effect on her. And this novel was written during the civil rights movement in the United States during the 1960s. And I feel that because of what was happening around her, she felt that it was so important to share her own memories of what happened, what happened during her childhood and how things haven't changed as much as she hoped for, that there was still so much wrong in this, wrong within the United States and, and the world, that black people are still being marginalized. But anyway, what I really also love about this book is its title, To Kill a Mockingbird. So Atticus himself says that it is a sin to kill a mockingbird, which means that it is a sin to kill any anyone, anything that is pure and innocent and does nothing more to harm others. 
He says himself that mockingbirds have no other role than, than to produce beautiful music to humans. So within this novel, Harper Lee tries to revolve around the idea that black people within this novel are the mockingbirds, that they are, they are not doing anything wrong, except simply existing, but they're still being targeted as a marginalized group and thousands and thousands are losing their lives because of it. Also, I love how Harper Lee uses this title as a form of hypocrisy towards religious, religious discrimination. So what I, what I mean by that is when it's throughout the novel, Christian men and women are saying that God loves all their children and that everyone is equal in the eyes of God, but they still choose to use this phrase to target marginalized groups of people. And that totally does not make sense, being that you can say that God loves all his people, but just not people of color. Also, what I love about Harper Lee is that she doesn't just focus on racial discrimination. Of course, that's the premise of the entire novel, but she also focuses on gender discrimination as well. Mayela Ewell, who is the young woman who, who falsely accuses Tom Robinson of sexual assault, she lives in a, shall I say, she comes from a wealthy family, but there being that it's the Great Depression, they are, they are having a financial crisis, to say the least. So anyway, she comes from a, fa a family whose father is constantly out of the house, who has no domestic responsibilities. And when he does come home, he's, and, he has their, and he spends all their little amount of pay on alcohol, and he constantly beats his children, especially Mayella, being that she is the oldest. So being that they have eight children, Mayella is expected to stay at home, and she's not allowed to get educated because first off, her, they don't have um, the time to send their children to school. And second of all, her father constantly states that Nayella is a woman and does not need to be educated because all she needs to know is how to take care of herself and her family at home. It's never fully written, but you can tell by the way that she chooses to express herself within the court case that she's uncomfortable with the position that she has at home from the relationship that she has with her family, especially her father. And that's an issue that many women still, within this time period, continue, continue to face, that they're expected to fulfill certain moralities, but they aren't allowed to live the life that they choose to live themselves. That's a really beautiful analysis, and um, I, I love that you brought that up. And um, I think really the reason why this book is so influential and why it's on so many high school reading lists is because it was really unprecedented in its time. So this novel, as you mentioned before, was written in 1960, which was kind of like the height of the Jim Crow South era and really the peak of the um, modern day civil rights movement. And I think the fact that this is one of the first novels to really become mainstream that also tackled um, such difficult topics, such as, like you said, sexism, abuse at home, primarily racism and the way that black people were um, systematically marginalized by their community. I think that's really which is um, so groundbreaking in that, first of all, people were not having this, these conversations at that time because systematic racism, um, unlawful lynchings of black people, you know, various um, acts of discrimination, they were, you know, accepted as societally um, acceptable and societally normal. And I think the fact that this was really one of the first novels to um, tackle that assumption and kind of change the way that people perceive race and perceive racism instead of as a um, kind of like a fact of American society, you know, part of a pecking order or, or a, a hierarchy that this novel really challenged readers to question whether their beliefs that 
had been passed down for generations were actually really ethical and whether they should be continued or not. So I think that's the reason why this is a novel that um, we both highly recommend for many people to read, regardless of age. And, you know, even though it was written 60 years ago, I think it's just so monumental because it was one of the first novels to not only challenge the question of, you know, is racism acceptable, but it was also one of the first novels to introduce this, introduce this through the eyes of a seven to nine-year-old child who is that main um, character, Scout Finch. So I think it's, it's really just beautifully written, but also um, even though it was written during a completely different time period and really the civil rights movement and the Black Lives Matter movement almost are echoing um, the same the same central message, just in vastly different circumstances. I think this novel is still immensely influential regardless. Um, so next, I'm going to move on to my personal book recommendation, which is The Hate You Give. And this is a really popular novel that was released three years ago. Admittedly, um, I waited several years before I came out to read it. I read it last March and I wrote a book review about it, but it's personally one of the best books I've ever read in my life. It's just life-changing and monumental. Um, so I'll start with a little bit of plot summary. Um, the main character of this book is a 16-year-old named Star Carter. She's black and she lives in the fictional neighborhood of Garden Heights, which is akin to Queens. She attends a very wealthy, almost entirely white prep school where she is one of the only black students and thus she feels immense pressure to fit in both um, to represent minority students in a way that is proper and um, societally eloquent because she is one of the only at her high school, but also to act in a way that's authentic. And this internal turmoil really drives the plot for most of the story as she feels that um, her own personality, which might be considered brash by the people she goes to high school with, is something she has to conceal for fear of either losing her academic scholarship at the high school or fear of being considered a quote-unquote ghetto girl, which most of the girls in her high school already think of her because she's a minority. The main event that drives the plot is when coming home from a party, Star and her friend Khalil are pulled over by a cop. Khalil is held at gunpoint by the policeman and shot while he's unarmed. Um, and this, the unarmed killing of her best friend is something that really rocks Star's world. Not because it's the first time, but actually because it's the second time that she's had her best friend um, die in front of her eyes. The first time she mentions through the story was when she was 10 years old and her best friend was killed as a result of a drive-by gang shooting. Um, so really this event, at, this event, as disastrous as it is, um, it really shocks the neighborhood of Garden Heights, which is you know, immensely um, family-driven, community-driven, and it's almost entirely a minority. But the, um, these people have this main um, sense of duty to each other, to protect each other, and to look out for one another. So when um, a member of the community, a well-liked young boy, is unarmed and killed, this really just um, rings out within the community, and um, really is just a disaster. So because of this, Star's kind of entire sense of identity is shifted, because she feels that as her, it's her responsibility as a person of color to avenge uh, Khalil's death and champion for stricter regulations and to really lobby for the federal government to do something because um, ultimately the cop who shoots him is um, not federally indicted. But at the same time, um, the star who goes to private school wants to hide. She never wants to let her um, siblings and teachers know that she was the, the unidentified witness who testified because she fears that if word ever got out that her, she was the girl whose best friend was killed 
and was suspected of being a drug dealer that she would lose any and all credibility that she's worked for so many years to build up in this almost falsified image of herself just to gain the favor of the white people who attend her high school. Um, I think this novel is so powerful, not only because it discusses this topic of racial identity and double identity and how kind of um, people of color or minorities might act when they're in certain situations, but mostly because it was written um, admittedly three years ago. It it's, was written during an immensely monumental time in American history, and that's still prevalent today, which was the current modern Black Lives Matter movement. Um, arguably, the movement has existed since about 2014 or 2013, but now, than e now more than ever in this year 2020, this movement is really just so impactful. And I think this novel, even though it's a couple of years old, it will never get old, it's timeless. Um, I think the fact that it tackles the question of unarmed police shooting and activism through the lives of um, 16 year olds and various community members really is just, as I was saying before, it provides that personal um, firsthand experience that I would never understand. I have obviously not lived the same life as Star has or really ha as any minority has. So while reading this, I was just, it was just groundbreaking because my um, the way that I perceived both minorities and also this question of um, how really activism and um, tragic events can shape a community. It was really something I'd never thought about before, or at least in that much detail. So reading this novel was really just so eye-opening. Um, but additionally, something that I find is another important part of the, the aspect of this novel is the fact that um, it doesn't end on a happy note, as you would expect kind of a young adult novel to. It doesn't end with Star or her community getting satisfaction. Actually, it ends with the opposite. Um, it ends after a grand jury fails to indict Khalil. Um, Star has multiple falling outs with people in her high school who she considered to be her friends but realized were incredibly racist and demeaning, some going as far as to say that Khalil deserved to die because, as the media was reporting, he was suspected of being a quote-unquote gangbanger and a youth drug dealer and several other derogatory terms. And I think this brings up another important aspect of this novel, which is the fact that it also brings up something that's a lesser known aspect of these social justice movements, which is the fact that the media can actually take away attention from the core of this movement. And as we've observed, a lot of the time, um, the news and several news outlets, media, things like that will report on more the um, almost like shock value aspects of the social movement, whether it's um, the deaths, the riots, the um, mass protesting, people lobbying in front of politicians' homes, chanting no justice, no peace, things like that. Um, and this is something that's actually brought up in the novel too, because one of the um, main things that drives Star to become an activist and break out of her shell is the fact that the media reports only on the fact that Khalil was suspected of being a drug dealer or involved in illegal activities, not the fact that he was shot unarmed he was, as he was coming home from a party by a white cop. And really just overall, I think this is such a beautiful novel that tackles the Black Lives Matter movement and really um, stresses the importance of both community organizing, um, personal and environmental identity, and um, rallying together to create change in so many different ways. And because it's told through the eyes of a 16-year-old, I think it's written in a way that's um, powerful enough that it really will shape your worldview and it will change your life after reading it. But also, it's written in a way that because it's, um, its narrator is a 16-year-old, that I feel like a lot of teens and young people will understand. And I think reading this novel, along with To Kill a Mockingbird and several other 
um, racially or thematically inclusive novels really will provide that boost that um, people of privilege need to kind of understand that we have a responsibility to enact change and to at the least educate ourselves about why minorities are being disenfranchised so that we can use our privilege to help them in the future, whether it's by educating others, educating ourselves, using our time and our money to help, using our resources, our voice, our power, whatever it might be. So just to everyone, I really highly recommend that you read this book. It's life-changing. I personally have not read this novel yet, but after you described to Caroline, I need to get my hands on it. Um, this book sounds like the next to kill a mockingbird. I can see, like, in 50 years from now, this will be in every required reading lesson in high school, like, honestly. Um, compared to Kill a Mockingbird, Harper Lee made her novel directed towards adults, but I love how this novel is, fate, is discussing such sensitive topics, but it's directed towards young adults. Especially, I loved how Angie Thomas describes Star as having this internal conflict between a way to stay silent on this issue, stay silent on this issue or to be an active protester. I feel that's an issue that many students do face because although they want to fight for the rights of marginalized groups of people and to fight what they believe is right, I feel that many students also believe that sometimes they're scared of losing their respect and reputation from their family and friends or other trusted adults if they choose to speak out on these difficult issues. Um, also, I'd like to state, I, I'd like to bring up that both of these books were written during such prominent so, social justice movements in the United States. As I, as I said before, The Kill a Mockingbird was written during the Civil Rights Movement, um, The Hate You Give was written during the Black Lives Matter movement, and I think that they both do a brilliant job on educating the public on these such, on such important issues, and hopefully I like to believe that these books have played an important part on shaping the shaping the worldview of those who have not personally been uh, personally experienced these issues. I found it interesting how both books end on a sad note, but it's not sad, not sad in like, the traditional way. Because in the hate you give, there's a sense of hope that you will continue to fight for the Black Lives Matter movement, and hopefully one day we'll reach the ultimate goal of uh, equality for all people. In The Kill a Mockingbird, Tom Robinson is killed, but however, Atticus and her, his two children continue to fight for the right of equality. And even though these books are written around 80 years apart, things haven't changed as much as we'd like them to. Like them to. We still have a scene in The Hate You Give, there is um, police brutality towards marginalized groups of people going on, while in The Kill a Mockingbird, there was the story focuses on how the criminal justice system is failing and continues to fail black people just because of the color of their skin and these hateful stereotyping. But I believe that with the help of these two important pieces of literature, we'll be able to shape the worldview, of, um, especially today's youth. And the way that we do reach social change is by, by teaching the worldview on these um, on the trials and tribulations of these people of color. And hopefully one day we'll finally reach a state where we can all, where everyone, no matter their skin color, can just live and not fear of being killed just because of the, just because of the way that they were born. Wow, Sarah, that was really eloquent and poignant. And thank you for that analysis. I really, um, I really value everything you have to say and all the arguments you've brought to the table. Um, and with that, I think we'll wrap up. 
Um, just to end off, I'll say activism is scary, um, no matter what form or what type, but I really encourage all of you, even if um, all you're interested in is maybe educating yourself and becoming more informed, that enough is definitely um, a really important facet of changing the way that minorities are disproportionately affected um, because as someone who might not have that experience, and not just racial minorities, minorities really of all types, ethnically, racially, um, religiously, sexuality type, uh, gender-wise, things like that, really the best way for us to kind of break the stereotypes and break the stigma is to educate ourselves. So that's why I think reading and literature is so important. As always, feel free to connect with us on Instagram at Global Perspective Podcast and at my personal account at Caroline underscore OWXN. If you have any feedback or inquiries, feel free to DM us. Be sure to tune in next Friday where I feature one of my teachers for a discussion on both how student activists can get involved in changing their communities, as well as what the importance of student government is and how it fosters student activism. If you like this episode, please consider subscribing or leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much, Sarah, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I had such a great time. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Your support means the world. And signing off, I'm Caroline Owen with The Global Perspective.